to reach out and, and, and to know that we sinners are washed clean by his blood. So this morning we come here to worship you, to praise you, to lift up the name above all names, Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. you from Revelation 12 verses 10 through 12 John says I heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their life even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. He became sin who knew no sin. Now we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so
body the bread, his blood the wine, broken and poured all for love. The whole earth trembles and the veil was torn. Love so amazing, love so what great privilege it is to worship you. Thank you, even as we go back to the beginning and look and see how you created the earth. Thank you that even as we see how we fell short, God, that you've already had a plan. You had made a way. You were not surprised by our brokenness. In fact, God, you had a purpose even in our brokenness to reveal Jesus, to reveal the Messiah. So we love you, God, and we just pray that Jesus would be lifted up in our midst, even as we worship. We pray that everything we say and do today would bring glory to him. Amen? Oh, please be seated if you would.
Well, welcome to you, whether you're with us here in person, we're so grateful for your presence here today, or whether you're worshiping with us online today, you're just as important, you're a part of our family, we're delighted and blessed that you are with us. As we begin today, I want to take just a moment and ask you to do me a favor, it's especially in the season of COVID, it's so critical to try and stay in touch, there's so many things going on in one another's lives. If you would take a moment and just register your presence with us, the easiest way to do that is by just texting your name to area code 812-457-9509. And once you have that connection, if there's anything that, that, any way we can serve you or support you, pray with you, we just so greatly desire to do that. We just invite you to add that as well. While you're doing that, I would just share with you several things going on in the, in the life of our congregation. I love it when, when answers to prayer come into the room, amen? And, and Riley, it's so good to see you. Um, we were praying all week for you and a little astounded that you're on our feet looking, uh, looking so well, but we're just grateful for the successful surgery and, and just look forward with joy to seeing God do miracles in your life. So we're blessed and honored that you're here with us today. I know your family is going through a lot because you just dropped off one of your babes uh, up north in that foreign land called Michigan. And um, so our prayers continue for the Haynes family, for all those uh, who are re-engaging, many of them in school right here in town, but for many families um, in distant places. We're just so grateful that God's love knows no bounds. Amen. He's not bound by time or space. And he is already wherever our children and our grandchildren, our beloved, are going. Well, a couple of other things going on. Uh, one is that um, if you were just like a reminder to continue to pray, not only for Riley, but for all those who are recovering from illnesses. Chris Haywood is still recovering from his knee surgery. Josie, I believe, is still down in Nashville um, with her son, David, who had very serious surgery um, this last week as well. But it's just a reminder to pray, right? Just a reminder to pray. Uh, we have Riley Strong bracelets on back in the back. Um, we've got his memory verse on there, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. And then the secret, whenever we produce bracelets, you know that on the inside there's an additional um, message, and it's the rest of that verse, for the Lord our God is with you. So grab one of those, um, grab another one for our family members who might not be here, and then, uh, and then just remember to pray. God answers prayer. We're going to see that powerfully today, the importance of prayer as we continue our study of Genesis. And, and so I just really want to encourage you. Um, we're going to touch on several passages. I, I invite you on that blank sheet in your bulletin um, or a scratch piece of paper or um, jot down some of those passages, do uh, a soap study on them this week, and, and uh, we'll come back together next week, having been blessed by God's Word speaking directly into our situation. I want to give a first shot across your bow, too, that um, we're coming up on a, a major election in our uh, nation, and, uh, and we're especially mindful of how critical it is uh, for uh, us to pray, amen, uh, to, to pray for our country and to pray for uh, those uh, elected officials that God would put in place. And so I want to uh, just give you a shot across the bow on beginning on September 
25th, there's got to be at least six organizations nationally that are inviting us to pray for 40 days. In Scripture, there's just a, a special season uh, periodically. You see it throughout Scripture where, where God's people would set themselves apart for a 40-day period. And I just want to uh, just put that first shot across your bow. If you'd like to join um, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people across the country praying for 40 days leading up to election, then uh, you would want to start on September 25th. Kristen and I are working on a little guide to help you if you just need a little bit of extra help uh, focusing each, each day on some aspect of, uh, of how we can pray for our nation. And we'll try and have that available for you next week, uh, still four or five days before you need it. And then we'll be following that and walking together uh, through the last 40 days before the election as we um, just, just um, fulfill our purpose uh, to, to uh, speak to God, to declare truth, to pray in his name for this precious country that we're a part of. So keep that in the back of your minds, if you would. We're talking today about um, spiritual warfare, honestly. And, and as always, I'm always a little chagrined because we, and just the brief time that we have together, can only scratch the surface. But I want to speak to you men, especially. Um, uh, on Wednesday, this Wednesday, we're going to be specifically going a little more in depth on what spiritual warfare looks like for men. And if you would like to join us, um, we're not running our full Wednesday night operation yet. Um, we won't have a meal and those kinds of things. But from 6 to 7.30, several of us will be here exploring in depth today's lesson. What does it mean to do spiritual warfare against the evil one as a man? And so I invite you to join us. You'll note in, in your bulletin or online, there are several other small group opportunities, whether you're with us here today and physically or uh, online beginning at 10.30 today, There'll be opportunities for you to, um, to join small groups that are continuing their study of the passage in Genesis we're studying today. And then there are midweek Tuesday women's groups, Wednesday women's groups, Wednesday men's group, Thursday men's groups. There's many small group places where you can plug in and go in depth. So I just invite you to do that. Did you, when you, um, when you joined us today, did you have a chance to um, grab a communion cup um, did anybody not get one in the sanctuary here today? Those of you online um, will be partaking of it in a special hermetically sealed uh, communion package here today. But we invite you to, um, to prepare elements, even now, during these announcements. Um, get some bread, get some uh, juice, and, and be prepared to join us as we get to experience today the sacrament of the Lord's Supper there are many ways that we experience God's grace, amen? But one that we universally experience together is the, is the very real spiritual presence of Jesus in the bread and in the cup. And so we invite you to prepare your hearts today for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> and the only requirement that, that Scripture speaks about in terms of that is is preparing your heart. It uses a little bit stronger word, examine your heart. Now, now I just want to remind you of a truth that we, we reaffirm every time we're together, but especially every time we're together for the Lord's Supper. That is that 
there are none righteous, not one, right? We are all broken people in need of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ that we celebrate and we remember in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So what does it mean then that we should examine ourselves? We should just own that. We should just own that. Do you need a Savior? I do. I do. And so just invite God's Holy Spirit. I always love to use the psalm. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Test me. And know my anxious ways. See if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Let's prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, shall we? I am guilty. Ashamed of what I've done, what I've become. These hands are dirty. stand before you. We can't even, we can't even behold your face like, like Moses cried out to do because you are holy. You're pure and you are lovely. And God, it would, be, it would be so easy right now to believe the lies of the evil one and to believe that, that somehow we can never approach you because of our brokenness and sin. But I praise you, God, that you have made a way through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, through the offering of his body in our place, through the amazing cleansing that came from his shed blood, we are made righteous before you. And so, so God, we, we affirm today the promise of Scripture that though we are broken and though we have sinned, as we confess that sin, you are faithful, you are just, and you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So today, God, we accept that truth. Right now, God, we live into that truth and we receive in Jesus' name your forgiveness. I've been hiding Afraid I let you down And inside I doubt That you still love me But in your eyes there's only Grace now Cause you plead my cause You right my wrong You break my 
you open your Bibles or your phones to our passage for today. If you're just joining us um, online today for the first time, we've been working our way through um, the book of Genesis. And uh, though in this section of the series, we'll only be able to approach the first three chapters. Um, wow, how they have spoken exactly into our culture. And I've just been overwhelmed again this week how the message of our culture, and we know this from, from 1 John 2, the world, our own flesh, and especially the evil one, speak a message exactly contrary to the word of God. And so we've gone back and we've seen that, that God has spoken all the major cultural issues that are rocking our world right now, God spoke of them. In Genesis, the problem is not that God is not speaking. The problem is that we're not listening. The problem is we don't believe God's word. We're not putting it into practice. And so over the last weeks, we have gone back to the beginning. And we have opened God's word and found some powerful truths for our time together. We remember that as, uh, as we saw God in the creative process, he said, um, this is good. The world that I created is good. And in six times he said, this is good. And then he created um, humanity, right? And, and men, male and female, he created them. And then he said, it's very good, right? 
And then, and then to follow this theme, uh, the next week we saw that there was one aspect of, of creation that was not good, and that's for us to ever be alone. To be alone. And, and so we saw last week God, God did this beautiful thing of creating two sovereign individuals, but they were bone of bone and flesh of flesh, and, and in this miracle of God, two become one and represent uh, an invisible God in a visible way to the world. Uh, we ended with those famous words that are said in virtually every Christian wedding that you go to, um, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we saw this amazing statement, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed well, we're picking up the story today in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3. And uh, whereas everything was good, good, then very good, um, now we're going um, to see a challenging aspect of what happened next. Follow with me, would you? Uh, Genesis 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, Cunning is probably a better translation than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he, God, said to the woman, excuse me, he, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. If I could press pause for just a second. In this, in this amazing thing, Satan went head to head with the very thing that God had said to Adam that he had shared with Eve about, you may eat of any tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan, as we'll see here, comes back and asks that question. Did God really say that? I don't know about you, but... That happens to me all the time. Did God, did God really say that? Because it doesn't fit very well into the culture around me. And I desperately want to fit in. I want to be liked by people. I want to be respected by the world, right? And did God really say that? And, and it's so awesome that the woman comes back and, and says, no, let's clarify here. God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And she says the next line, neither shall you touch it. When I was, um, when I was a teenager, um, I can say this now that Maddie is old enough and mature enough that I won't be a bad example to her. Um, we were drag racing down a narrow strip of road um, uh, next to a freeway. I wasn't driving. How's that for um, blame shifting? Um, but the, the car next to us um, lost a little bit of control uh, went off on the side of the road, overcorrected, came back and hit us, knocked us through the freeway fence onto the opposing lanes of traffic coming the other way. Clean up on aisle three, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, scary moments. Um, uh, I think that's what Eve is doing here. She, um, she speaks truth, but then she overcorrects, and she does what Revelation 20 says, don't do, don't take away any of the words of God, but don't add to them either. And she adds these words, neither shall you touch it. 
lest you die, right? So the serpent says to the woman, you, in verse 4, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it's like God created it in, verse, in chapter 2, that it was a delight to the eyes, just like God created it, chapter 2, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? The very word of God. Thanks be to God, huh? Thanks be to God. Pray with me, would you? Oh, God, we are on holy ground for so many reasons today, um, not the least of which is this is your word. And God, we need it so desperately right now. We need truth, God. We need to hear your voice. And God, we believe that as we surrender to your word, you'll give us everything else we need to be able to stand firm in the midst of a tumultuous cultural storm and to be able to declare your praises. So begin now. Would you, God, do a miracle? Open our ears. Let the scales fall from our eyes, God, and allow us to see you through your word. Allow us to hear your voice, God, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Mm. Well, um, wow, what a picture, isn't it? What, what a picture of, of um, brokenness. And and the best way I can understand it is to see God walking in the garden. It's such a beautiful picture of the relationship that Adam and Eve had enjoyed. We don't know how long it was in the garden before the events that we're studying today happened, but but, um, the picture is that God and Adam and Eve walked in the garden together. There's an old hymn. I sing it at the nursing home every week, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, right? And he tells me, I am his own. My children were with us this weekend, and my grandchildren. It was so fun to see, to see moms and dads speaking into these 14-month-old miracles. You're mine, right? You're mine. I love you. To have that kind of relationship and dialogue, that's what Adam and Eve enjoyed with God in the garden. And then, and then in this incredible experience, jumping all the way to verse 9, the end of our passage today, 
God comes to walk in the garden, right? And, and God is not surprised by anything that we do. He's not unaware of what's going on. But, but, he, but he speaks into that situation the, the poignant cry of a father who's used to being with his children, the, the poignant cry of a parent who loves being with his own, and, and now his own are hiding. His own are hiding. I'm smiling at my wife because, because um, our kids weren't particularly good at lying when they were little, right? And so... Um, if all of a sudden they weren't there, um, something was probably wrong. By the way, our dogs do this um, as well. You can tell whether they've done something by looking at them, right? But one of uh, our children, I'm not going to name his name, but one of our children, um, uh, when, when he uh, did something wrong, would go and hide behind a certain door, right? So if you couldn't find him, there was a good chance that you could go behind that door into the, into the den off the front door and... And he might be there with a Tootsie Roll in his hand or, or something illegal in his hand, right? And um, his shame caused him to hide. So God calls out, and I just really believe that he's calling out to us today too, right? He's calling out to you, even in, in your living room. Where are you? Where are you today? plaintive cry of a God whose children are hiding from him. Well, um, what happened? What happened? I know this is going to be this is going to be hard for some of us because we live in a culture that is not um, comfortable speaking about spiritual things, period, and especially about speaking about personified evil, right? about personified evil. In fact, about 10 years ago, um, a Christian pollster did an did a analysis of what, now listen carefully, what Christians believe, people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus, what they believe about the evil one, and found out that only 35% of, of people self-proclaimed as Christians believed that there was this person, this angel, um, Satan, that he was a real entity, right? By the way, um, it's interesting that almost to a T, those 35% also identified themselves as born-again Christians, as born-again Christians. I'm not trying to make a federal case of that. I'm just trying to say that they really understood John 3. That, that you need the spirit of God in you to be able to discern spiritual things. So we have a problem, and, and, and there's no judgment or condemnation if you find yourself in that way. It's just invitation. Let's get serious about God's word because it appears here in our Genesis passage that, that there is a motivation behind the serpent's questions, right? Who is this serpent, right? Who is this this um this entity in the garden. Well, well, the beginning of the book is perfectly matched with the whole book and even the end of the book. And we can go to Revelation chapter 12 and find out exactly who that serpent is. It is the devil, the, the Satan, right? 
It is, it is the one who goes by so many different names with one sole purpose. And, and you might believe that it's, 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 to, um, it's to cause you to turn astray, but it's not really. I, I, think, I think sometimes we get caught up in, in a false importance uh, that we're somehow important to Satan. It's not about us at all. We're pawns in this game. Satan's attacks are against the living God, right? And, and those who would believe on his name. And so, so we have to face this reality that there is an evil presence. There is a, um, a critical entity that's totally opposed to uh, the purposes of God in your life. And he goes by many names, right? Many names, um, devil or accuser, um, uh, Satan uh, or adversary. He goes, he goes by um, uh, prince of the air, right, in, in Revelation. He goes by many names, but it's the same entity. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, what do we do in response to this? And I invite you just to risk believing that God's word is true. Uh, here's one of those places where you can jot that down and do a soap study on it. First John 2, the beginning verses of 1 John 2 speak of three um, things to be aware of. The, the world, your own flesh, and then this one we're studying today, this evil one. All three of those things conspire against the things of God, and you do well to be aware of all of them, right? So, so if for a moment you borrow this from me, and I believe that every word is true in God's word, that there is this entity, um, Satan, who's in both Isaiah and in Revelation, we get clues about what happened, his pride, he wanted to be like God, and so uh, and so uh, God cast him out of heaven and in Revelation 12 sent him here to earth and he knows his destiny. He knows that he's going to lose, but he wants to cause as much pain and struggle as he can in the meantime. Um, there is this entity called the evil one, right? So how does, that, how does God's will relate to this, right? Um, did God create a world where, where evil can exist? yes. We've explored that in depth, and I invite you to remember and revisit the truths that in order for love to exist, there has to be the opportunity for not love to exist. In order for free will to exist, there has to be the opportunity that you can choose against God, right? And so he created a world where people can choose badly, right? But that does not mean that that. God is helpless in the face of evil. Certainly not. It does not mean that God is helpless in the face of the evil one. We've, we've, we've studied this before, but let me just remind you that Satan is not God, right? That was his desire. He, does, he is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent, right? He, he is not all-powerful. He's not omnipotent. Satan doesn't have those characteristics. He has no power over you unless you give it to him, right? By the way, one of the greatest powers that he can have over you 
reveals itself in fear. In fear, right? Fear causes us to respond how Satan would desire rather than how, how the evil or how God would desire. I'm stumbling because we are so vulnerable for this. And, and parents, your children are so vulnerable for this. The peer pressure that they face is so powerful. It's frightening. It's frightening. And, and I'm, I was just absolutely waylaid this, this last week watching students that I love post online uh, messages from the Church of Satan. It was right there, you know. Uh, and, and, and the message was, you can't trust the Bible. Oh, don't think that uh, this is not uh, powerful stuff. There is a war for the hearts and souls of our children. There's a war for your heart and soul. We would do well to understand the enemy, right? I'm thinking about five movies right now. I'm a movie guy, and about five movies, I'm thinking right now of Battleship. Where, um, where think about the enemy, think about what the enemy will do and be ready for that. So, so what are the strategies? What can we learn from this passage today? There's so much here, and I, I hope to actually pique your interest and then, and then have you chase down some of these passages. But, but what do we learn from this passage today, from Genesis 3, about Satan's strategy? Again, his war is not with you, it it is with God, right? You are just his pawn, but the method that he will use will be to make you want to feel important, to swell your mind with pride, right? And then abandon you to the consequence of your sin. His goal, John 10.10, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come, is the way it actually writes in John 10.10. Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly, right? So let's try and understand his strategies so that we can be prepared for it. What what three strategies does he use here? You might find more in your studies this afternoon. But but I want to just note the first strategy that he used was to was to question what God said, to question the very word of God, right? Now, again, I don't expect that everyone watching us on, online or even everyone here today uh, is at that place where they're, uh, they've completely surrendered to every word of God. Most of us are on that journey. We, we have fallen from grace, and, and constantly we think we know more than God does about this or that we have bought some argument about the Bible that is not true, and, and we've discounted it. It's just so much more convenient if we can discount the parts of the Bible that, that make us uncomfortable, right? But Satan's strategy was right off the bat to question what God said. Did God really say that? And, and I want you to note what he did. He said, did God really say, and then he misquotes God, right? And so it, it's a double whammy. It, it's like, I was, I was sharing with Ted this, this week. It's like the, the, the question, have you stopped beating your wife, right? Um, well, there's no answer to that, right? If you say yes, that means you were beating your wife, right? If you, if you say no, then you're beating your wife, right? And I, I apologize. I do not mean to step on anyone's heart because many 
people watching online and maybe even here have struggled with that. But that's exactly what Satan does. He puts you in a no-win situation. In a no-win situation. There was no right answer for her. She gave it the college try, right? She, she quoted what Adam had told her, what God had said to him, right? And as we saw earlier, she added to that, right? But Satan's first strategy was to get her to question. And Satan's first strategy for you will get you to question the word of God. I've shared with you so many times after 40 years of walking with Jesus, I found every word of God to be true. Can I get a witness? Has anybody else found that to be true? I didn't always agree with it. I didn't always want to do it. But I found it to be true. The second strategy, then, is, is to question God's character, right? Basically, he says, God is a liar. She comes back with the word of God. He says, well, God is a liar, right? He's a liar. He, he, um, he is not trustworthy. That's why we spend so much time in our worship focusing on the nature and character of God, right? So it's so deeply embedded in us. When someone comes along and and besmirches God's character, then we say, you know what? (laughs) That's more on you than on God. Um, I know him. I know he's not that way. So many times um, I'm tempted to worry about... um, false accusations. I want to look good in front of people. I'm tempted to worry that someone might say something. Now, believe me, there's plenty of me that is broken and, and worthy of calling out, but I see so many people absolutely swept off their feet by false accusation, right? And, and the, the comfort that I have is that for the people that know me, that know me, that, that those accusations won't land. Are you following where I'm going here? So when, when Satan tries to say something about God, you know, you're able to say, no, <laughs> sorry, I know him. I know him. I know that's not true. He tries to get you to question God's word. He tries to get you to question God's character. And lastly, he tries to get you to question God's motives, right? He knows that if your eyes are open, you'll be like him, right? God's hiding something from you. I have to confess that I've sucked into this one a few times, right? God, what are you not telling me? What are you hiding from me? God's purpose is not to hide anything from you. His motives are pure. He loves you and wants your best. How many passages have we looked at that affirm that truth, right? In in this study alone, we've reminded ourselves of of, of Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. God is for us, not against us, right, Romans? We, we, we even in this study alone, have reminded ourselves, he who created you, he who formed you, uh, Isaiah 43.1, says, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. God's motives are pure. He loves his creation. So so understand the strategies of the evil one. Recognize them when when you feel the pressure to conform to them, right? How how can you do this in particular? How can you prepare 
for the attacks of the evil one. I'm going I'm to just give us some quick little encouragements, some scriptures. You'll have to jot them down because we don't have time to explore them in depth. They'd be great soap studies. Um, uh, scripture, observation, application, um, and, and prayer, right? Um, uh, great soap studies for the coming week. First of all, how can we prepare? Expect evil. Hello, surprise, right? Um, if, if Satan has been cast down, Revelation 12, to this place, he's going to make as much trouble as he can, right? We saw because he knows his time is short. Expect evil. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be naive. We're in spiritual warfare here, right? Expect evil. Peter put it this way. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, right? As though, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. No, this world is not our home. That's the nature of this world, right? Expect evil. But just as you expect evil, also expose it. Expose evil. God God invites you to be his instrument in, in calling out evil when you see it. Ephesians 5.11, we're going to come back to Ephesians in a moment, but it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, right? How do you expose evil? How do you, let me put it differently, how do you expose darkness, right? You shine light into the darkness. You shine the light of Christ into the darkness, by the way, some, some way in our culture that you can expose evil is by simply not participating in it. I think about you young people especially. When you start to see something go a direction that is not right, yeah, they'll call you all kinds of things, but many will respect you. When you say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm just not going to go there. I'm just not going to do that you will get permission for many others to also stand against the evil that is uh, coming over you. So, so expect it, expose evil. I want to encourage you, engage evil. Wow, did I really say that? Yes, engage it, but engage it in the way God has allowed you to. Jot this scripture down because it's very familiar to you, but it's like a play-by-play on how to engage evil. It's Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, right? And then he goes on to give you a strategy for engaging evil. He even goes as far as, as giving you the tools that you will need. Be strong in the Lord, verse 10. Put on the armor of God, verses 11 and 13. Take up spiritual weapons, um, verses 16 and 17. And, and especially this greatest gift, pray, pray, pray. Speak against these things, verses 18 and 19. Expect it, expose it, engage in it. And then, uh, oh, we could go into 20 more, but let me just, let me just end with overcome Overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How? How do you do that? What, what good could I 
bring that could possibly overcome the deeds of darkness. Please don't misunderstand me. Every little thing you do makes an impact. Every righteous act you do, every good work you do makes an impact, even if nobody else knows it. But understand also that God has given you amazing tools to overcome evil with good. And it comes from the passage we read in Revelation, verses 12. It was in the middle of a song, chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. And again, we've noted before, when you need the answers, go to the back of the book and see that we've already won the victory and see how we won the victory. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Isn't that beautiful? It's done. It is finished. The war has been won, right? And and. The accuser of our brethren, that's that literal word, the devil of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they did not love this life so much as to shrink from death. Our struggle is that we love this life, right? And, and this thing which is just a blip on the, the uh, timeline of eternity, we hold on to so tightly. Greater love, Jesus says, has no man in this that he should lay down his life. He should risk giving up this life for his friends. Well, understand, you have a great gift. Jesus has already won the battle, and he won the battle through his blood. Come on up, worship team. He won his battle through the blood, through the cross. Jesus chose, out of love for you, to go to the cross, to to pay the price for your sin so that no accusation against you can stand. You see, when Satan's standing there trying to trying to speak against you, Chad, when when Satan's lying before God about you, um, God says, nope, he's mine. He's my blood-bought, precious son. Um, The blood of the lamb cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's That's why we celebrate communion together, to remember what Christ did and to participate in it not just to have an intellectual exercise, but to participate in that grace again. There is real spiritual presence of Christ in these elements. And by that obedience of taking these together, you receive that grace. Anybody need grace today? I do. I do, right? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And and here's what I really want to challenge you. Today, followers of Jesus, 35% who believes that we're in a spiritual war, I I want you to speak. I want you to speak. I want you to testify about the greatness of God. Testify about his his 
holy character, testify about his pure motives, testify that he's for us and not against us. Our struggle, Ephesians 6.10, is not against flesh and blood, right? But against the principalities and the powers, the rulers of, of this dark age and the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. It's not about Democrats or Republicans. It's not about uh, Antifa or prayer group. Or, uh, it's, it's about good versus evil. And, and every person you lay eyes on is a precious child of God. They may be different than you. They may think different than you. But the only thing that's going to bring us together is, is Jesus testify about that. Now, they may, they may reject him. That's okay. That's on them. But your job is to speak what you know to be true. I know this to be true. There is a good God, and he has made a way. And I'm going to rest in that rather than in my own misguided understandings. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, that he came and walked among us, experienced everything and even more than any of us have ever experienced and willingly gave his life so that we might be set free from bondage so that no accusation against us would stand. So that we could say, nah, Satan, I'm not going to believe a, a minute, for a minute, your lies. I'm going to believe what God says about me instead. And I'm going to believe what God says about those around me as well. So Jesus, as we come to your table today, we remember that precious gift. We pray that, that you would, again, through your blood, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that you would fill us with your spirit so that we could detect even, even the most subtle of, of the evil one's strategies, so that we could speak your word into untruth and shine like lights in dark places. Oh, Jesus, meet us in this moment, would you? Grant us in this moment to experience your presence. And we will no longer hide. We will no longer sow fig leaves to try and cover ourselves. No, we will, with broken-hearted boldness, approach your throne of grace and receive mercy in our time of need. Oh, we love you. We invite you to be Lord even over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to invite you to begin now. I want you to, to practice speaking truth even in the midst of the accusations that the world, the evil one, and maybe for some of us the most difficult one, our own flesh, speaks against us. Join with me, would you? I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted 
betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples and he said take eat this is my body given for you those of you at home if you would take that bread those of you here I hope you have better luck than I have with take the top layer off if you would would you hold the bread before you for a moment have you been able to get it someone struggling if you could help them see how to do that Jesus, we remember you in your body, that you gave your body in our place. And God, we believe that when you raised Jesus from the dead, you validated that that his sacrifice was, was worthy. It was acceptable. And that through his body, we have been granted forgiveness. So we remember you today, Jesus. And we do this in remembrance of you. same way after supper Jesus took the cup be very careful as you do this he took the cup and and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood your sin has been paid for right now I make a new covenant with you right my word will be in your heart not just on your phone right my my spirit will dwell in you and there's no battle that you face there's there's no challenge that will come before you that will be able to shake you from my hands oh jesus we thank you for the blood which cleanses us of all unrighteousness and in obedience we do this today in remembrance of you The Apostle Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's life. You proclaim his death until he comes again. Stand with us, would you? I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. Spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be? You, my King, would die. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. So can you say that today? God, I believe your your sacrifice was enough. I declare today before my brothers and sisters in this room, before my family in our living room, I declare today that you and you alone are worthy of worship. You and you alone are truth. You are my king. Would you say that? 
You are my king. I, people in the room, say it a little louder through those masks, would you? You are my king. You are my king. You are my king. Jesus, you just a moment, uh, beginning with those of you in the back, uh, and we'll usher you out. I just invite you again. There's another service coming in. I invite you to make your way down to the gym if you'd like to hang out here and, and talk with people or out in the parking lot. But recognize that you're going back out into a world where everything speaks against the truths that we've talked here today. And if you're still in doubt, I just invite you to pray. Pray. Ask God. Reveal yourself to me. Open the scriptures. Let them speak to you. And as we go, let me just speak over you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and the amazing love of God our Father and the fellowship and power of his Holy Spirit be with you today and forever. Amen? Join us, would you, in this one phrase of the chorus. Christ be with you.